Last month, Eugene became the first city in Oregon to ban natural gas appliances in new homes. Within days, the utility company Northwest Natural launched a campaign to overturn the ban. I'm Elena Neal-Sachs, and this is Beat Check with The Oregonian. Today on the show, I'm joined by The Oregonian's environmental justice reporter, Gosha Vozhniatska. In recent weeks, Gosha has been reporting on Northwest Natural, exploring what its fate might be as cities throughout Oregon and the rest of the country push toward full electrification. Gosha, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. So I want to start with a really basic question, just so that all our listeners are on the same page about what exactly we're talking about here. Uh, So what is natural gas and how is it different from other types of gas? So natural gas is a fossil fuel. It's extracted from uh, under the earth um, by drilling. And uh, the significant thing about natural gas is that it's predominantly made up uh, of methane. And methane is a um, responsible for up to 30% of global warming across the world. Um, so it's a pretty significant source of emissions. Yeah. And so... I'm curious, though, because natural gas, at least by many gas companies, has kind of been marketed as almost the clean fossil fuel, you know, it it kind of like Mm -hmm. compared to coal or any other, you know, sorts of um, gas. Like, what is it if it includes methane, which is, as you mentioned, like a huge contributor to climate change? In what ways is it cleaner maybe than other forms? Yes. So for a long time, um, gas companies have promoted themselves uh, as a a clean form of fuel. And in the past, many people also saw natural gas as a a so-called bridge fuel, meaning that it is cleaner um, than coal, Um, but uh, it is a fossil fuel. So at the same time, even though currently gas companies continue to promote their fuel as clean, um, it's a fuel that does contribute to uh, climate change. So I want to back up a bit to last month when Eugene passed its ban on natural gas appliances in new homes. What led to that decision and why is it significant? So Eugene is not unique in uh, approving this ban. It's uh, actually one of many cities uh, across the country who have done so. Um, It Eugene is the first one in Oregon. Uh, However, uh, these bans started uh, in 2019. Uh, Berkeley, California um, had the first ban. And then uh, many other uh, cities, uh, counties in California followed and instituted similar bans. And I should say these are uh, bans on natural gas hookups in new construction uh, only, most often residential, sometimes commercial. Um, And so... Since uh, it started in California in 2019, this movement has really spread across the country uh, uh, and to many, many other uh, cities, large and small. Um, And it's now coming to Oregon, where several cities are considering this. I should also add that this movement to prohibit natural gas in buildings uh, stems from two things, I think. One is that it started out in 2019 when uh, former uh, President Trump was in power and he was uh, taking the U.S. out of the Paris Accord and uh, sort of rolling back a lot of uh, climate uh, friendly policies. And so I think this was a reaction uh, by many cities uh, to to those moves uh, made by uh, 
Trump. Uh, and at the same time, in recent years, there's been a growing awareness of uh, the impact of fossil fuels on climate and a really a movement to electrify everything, including buildings. And so buildings have really come to the forefront of the electrification movement. And everybody's uh, looking into how uh, we can make uh, buildings uh, more energy efficient um, and also how to make them emit less because they are a major contributor of emissions in the U.S. and across the world. Yeah. So from an emission standpoint, obviously, as you made clear in your reporting and just now, like we're talking here, at least in with Eugene's ban, we're only talking about new buildings. That's, you know, something important to clarify. We're not talking about buildings that have already been constructed and already have appliances, um, gas appliances in them. But how much of a difference in emissions would it make if all of Northwest Natural's current customers you know, suddenly began using all electric appliances or their buildings were all electric. Obviously, that's not what's actually happening. But I'm just trying to, I guess, really just get a sense of how significant is this from an emission standpoint? Yeah. So um, Northwest Natural, um, their direct uh, use uh, customers account for about 6% of uh, the state's emissions, of Oregon's emissions. And that may sound uh, like a very small number and uh, certainly Northwest Natural uh, is uh, often underlining that, um, that you know their emissions are just a very small percentage of the state's total. Um, however, um, because of what I said before about methane, uh, it's this the actual emissions are uh, much more significant. Um, so the impact beyond the 6%, uh, that's just uh, carbon dioxide, basically. Uh, but then there's also the methane. And the methane is extremely difficult to measure because a lot of it uh, is leaked basically alongside the uh, the chain from uh, drilling, storing, transporting, uh, and then also uh, some of it is leaked from uh, appliances in people's homes. So all of that stuff adds up, and there's been studies that show that the methane leaks at much higher rates than, uh, than it's estimated. So uh, previously... Uh, so, so the impact of methane is really a lot, um, a lot higher. So, even if you hear Northwest Natural talk about, you know, just their small percentage of emissions, and that, you know, even if all of their customers suddenly switch to electric, it wouldn't really be that much, you know, which is an argument that they have made in Eugene and in Milwaukee that they are not talking about their methane emissions; they are just talking about their their carbon dioxide emissions. So. Um, and the other thing that's significant too is that when we talk about um, decarbonizing the state's economy, so basically uh, getting rid of uh, emissions across our economy and reaching eventually net zero, which is uh, what uh, you know everybody's going to eventually be trying to reach, it's important that we basically decarbonize all the possible sectors that we can and the residential and commercial sectors are fairly easy um, to uh, electrify. Uh, so uh, in especially in new construction, because those are buildings that don't exist yet. They're, you know, they don't have to be re retrofitted. You don't have to pull out all old appliances. You can, you know, start from fresh and just put in the system that makes the most sense. And so the, the policy of, uh, 
electrifying buildings and getting rid of natural gas hook, hookups or not allowing natural ga- gas hookups, excuse me, uh, is, uh, is sort of seen as a, like a, an easy low hanging fruit policy because it's really easy to do. It's, it's not a, it's not super complicated. You're not asking existing customers to throw out their stoves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not, you're not asking uh, anybody who has anything existing to, to do anything. You're just basically requiring new homes to have electric. So it's easy to do and it's possible to do. So, which is why it's, an, you know, and it's going to, even that 6% will be needed to reach our uh, our goals of emission-free economy. Yeah. Well, you said it's easy to do. Is that true also from a cost standpoint economically? Like what's the cost difference, I guess, between constructing new homes with natural gas versus all electric yeah it's uh it's not i mean the 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 upfront costs are definitely much higher um and i think that is a barrier that uh our regulators are going to have to deal with i i read somewhere that the costs are like 15 to twenty thousand dollars to to you know replace an entire system in a house um, which is a lot. Um, however, there's a few things at play. So for one, there is a subsidy that Northwest Natural and other gas utilities uh, have for builders uh, that basically makes it much cheaper to um, install uh, gas hookups. Um, and all natural gas customers uh, pay a little bit for that to happen. And that subsidy has been uh, slashed in half by the state uh, recently. So it's going to be more expensive to install gas hookups now. And there are also uh, many uh, state and local programs that are starting to subsidize uh, heat pumps uh, and heat pump installations in new and existing homes. So that is going to be something that will help people take that route. The other thing that I should mention is that heat pumps are very uh, energy efficient. So even though they're more expensive upfront, uh, they save energy and they save a lot of money during the course of their life. So, um, so the, basically the energy, energy bills go down. So even though you pay more upfront energy bills go down while you're using heat pumps. And, uh, in addition to any local initiatives, be it the, you know, cities or the state, uh, there are also federal incentives now that are, uh, being rolled out, both tax rebates and other types of rebates uh, that allow people to install electric heat pumps. Uh, and for some lower income residents, they are very inexpensive. Uh, for others who are more moderate income or higher incomes, um, there's still a tax rebate and a reduction. So it's uh, worth looking into those. Yeah. Also, as you note in your story, some critics of natural gas bans say that the current electric grid isn't prepared to handle the demands of switching to 100% electric. Can you explain that argument a bit and what are your thoughts on it? So there's a lot that's unknown about the future electric grid uh, because basically the state doesn't have a plan yet about how much energy we'll need where it will come from, um, and how much it's going to cost. So there are um, dozens of studies, forecast studies that look at various scenarios 
uh, decarbonization scenarios. So what would happen if we, um, you know, wanted to reach 70% uh, reduction in emissions by 2035? Or, uh, you know, what if we wanted to reach 50% by 2040? Or, you know, there's just a gazillion scenarios that um, these studies look at. And some of them include, uh, you know, new electric vehicles, other, others include building uh, electrification. So there's just a variety of scenarios, but there isn't really a, like one state analysis saying like, okay, this is, we're going to have X new customers. We need to do, you know, we need to add this much more energy uh, into the grid, you know, this is exactly the projects that we need. And part of the issue is that the utilities, you know, the electric utilities, uh, especially PGE, they will be determining the exact type of projects that they need to to build. Um, however, um, the uh, state regulates those utilities, so it does have some say um, in what direction they're going to go in. Um, and so the state really doesn't have a specific plan yet um, on the, how that's going to go. Did I answer your question? Yeah, no, you <laughs> did. Well, yeah, to the extent that it seems like you can. Um, and I kind of want to go off of that a bit because in, in your reporting, you point out that while there are several cities in Oregon that have banned or are looking to ban natural gas, the state as a whole, yeah, has not come up with a comprehensive strategy in this realm, really. And obviously, we have a new governor, but she's not new to Oregon politics. What do we know about Kotek's views on this? I don't know very much about Kotek's views on this, but what I can say is that um, she hasn't said anything publicly or, you know, her office um, about uh, building electrification specifically. Um, it, you know, in contrast, we have states like uh, Washington State where this conversation is much more advanced, where they uh, basically have changed their building code and are now requiring uh, new residential and commercial buildings to uh, be electric. Uh, so it's it's a pretty different uh, strategy than you know Oregon's, which is basically kind of letting cities decide piecemeal whether they want to you know ban gas hookups or not. It seems to me that Oregon uh, is a lot more focused on energy efficiency in buildings. Uh, there are several bills that are coming out uh, soon that uh, are going to basically, uh, one, set a, a, a standard for um, weatherizing homes and uh, um, making them more energy efficient in that way, and uh, also set a target for the deployment of heat pumps across the state. So the state will have to help purchase, uh, you know, X number of heat pumps um, over the coming years. So uh, that seems to be the extent of Oregon's uh, efforts at this point. I don't see any global discussion about um, changing building codes, you know, to require electrification. The other interesting thing that California is requiring is uh, that it's going to ban the sale of gas-powered appliances by 2030. That will basically allow people to switch over to electric um, at a sort of an even pace, which means that you know once your furnace or gas stove give out, you know, they reach the end of their lifetime. And I think those appliances usually are good for like 10, 15 years. Um, then people will sort of naturally start replacing them 
with electric appliances. And so this is kind of a different direction uh, on the same idea. Instead of prohibiting gas hookups, you are basically asking people to buy only electric appliances starting at a certain date. And so the replacement period, you know, will take about 10, 15 years. And so if they start it in 2030, that means that by 2045, 2050, pretty much all the appliances will be electric because people won't be able to buy them locally. Given that, um, and just the trend more broadly toward full electrification, what do you think the future is for companies like Northwest Natural and just gas utility companies? I think it's complicated and uncertain. Um, I mean, I think there's different types of gas companies, but the the ones that serve uh, distribute gas directly to customers like Northwest Natural. I think it's a pretty pretty uncertain future. You know, they're they're hoping to replace fossil fuel gas with uh, renewables, so uh, renewable natural gas and uh, green hydrogen. Um, they've kind of hung their hopes on those two uh, renewable sources, but both of those are um, still far from cost-effective. Renewable natural gas is the the more advanced, um, and by more advanced, I mean the supply has been uh, developed a little more. Um, so that comes from wastewater facilities, landfills, uh, uh, dairy farms. Uh, it, it's basically made by capturing methane that that's emitted by, let's say, dairy manure, and that when when that methane is captured, it's it's converted into uh, renewable natural gas. And so there are sources of RNG, uh, as it's known, um, but they are not plentiful. And some of the RNG is very costly. Some of it is less costly. Um, so there likely will be um, more RNG in the future. But the forecasts that I've read basically say it could replace a part of uh, the natural gas that's currently in the bat pipelines, but it's there's no way that it would you know replace it all. And then green hydrogen uh, is a very different story. It's not really commercially available at this point. There are a few um, natural gas companies in Europe that are starting pilot programs to blend uh, very small percentages of uh, green hydrogen um, into their systems, but it's still unclear how high these blends could go. And whether the appliances that people have in their homes uh, can even sustain uh, green hydrogen blends in them. But essentially, right now, green hydrogen is not available in Oregon or the U.S. It's very, the supply is minimal um, at best. There's really no uh, infrastructure that's been developed for it. Um, the costs are exorbitant. So it's, it's really at an experimental stage at this point. So it's not really seen as a viable replacement. You know, it could become like maybe a small percentage of uh, what the natural gas system is today, but uh, it's going to take a long time to develop and the costs are really high. So that is not really um, likely a viable route. Um, so it could be um, that, you know, the customer base declines over time. I think that will happen uh, very likely. And from what I've read, uh, experts say that natural gas or uh, its replacements, renewable natural gas, uh, could uh, play a role in the future, especially at those uh, winter peak 
events when you know we need more energy um, and so it could be like a backup system of sorts but it's really at this point it's just very uncertain and nobody really knows um, and I think to me that's kind of uh, scary in a way I feel like regulators really need to get ahead of this and uh, plan for this transition because clearly people are going to electrify you know whether it takes five years or 15 years it's going to happen you know that's the push nationally and worldwide right now. So it will happen. Uh, the customer base will decline. The rates will go up. Um, and so at some point, there's going to be, you know, a sort of a tipping point where uh, this transition is going to have to happen. And, you know, they're going to have to figure out what to do with the remaining customers and, you know, the higher rates and how how they can continue to function, you know, so that people are not paying exorbitant rates, because I think that's really the issue. And so I think regulators need to think about this now, as opposed to 15 years from now when it's a crisis. Well, as this story publishes, uh, what are you looking to next in, in this realm of your reporting? What are you looking at down the line? Yeah, I am uh, uh, looking forward to the state's uh, investor-owned electric utilities uh, releasing their climate plans, uh, basically uh, looking at how they're going to fulfill the state mandates to uh, clean up their energy sources and serve all these new customers who are going to be coming on board from car electrification and building electrification. And so they're mandated to uh, file these reports by the end of March with the Oregon PUC, and they uh, hopefully will include more details uh, about their plans and, you know, projections for how much energy we need, what kind of projects they're going to have on board uh, to fulfill those uh, higher needs, because that kind of information isn't yet really available when Oregon uh, passed uh, its pretty aggressive mandate to clean up its energy by 2040, uh, they uh, the utilities basically said, you know, we have enough to be confident that we can, you know, fulfill the mandates by 2030, 2035. But beyond that, it's kind of aspirational. Um, and this was three years ago, I think. Um, so they've had a few years to kind of think about it and, you know, plan and strategize, figure out what they're going to do next. So I'm hoping these reports are going to contain more details about their future plans and hopefully will be less aspirational than than uh, than their previous statements. Mm. Well, those are all the questions I had. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention that I didn't ask about? I think one key uh, element of this story for me was the impact on customers and, you know, both, obviously both Northwest Natural and uh, the electric utilities are very keen on serving their customers and they, they always say they're putting their customers first. And so that's really important, obviously. Um, but I think the future of natural gas uh, and how, how this unfolds for Northwest Natural and other gas utilities really could impact the most vulnerable customers because the reality is that heat pumps, like we mentioned, are expensive. Mm -hmm. Installing them in, you know, in your house is expensive. Uh, and so even though there will be subsidies, uh, you know, unless they're very, very aggressive subsidies and unless there's a lot of help from the states and local governments, the reality is that the people who switch to electric will be those who are, you know, high income individuals, you know, or moderate income families, families that can afford it, yeah. basically. And so those who remain on the gas system are those who are lower income 
um, you know, and less able to make this transition to electric. And there will be a smaller pool of customers who are these lower income folks who will be asked to basically bear the burden of paying for, you know, whether new gas hookups or pipeline uh, expansions or, you know, whatever else that they need to be paying um, as part of the rates. And so the the burden will be on their shoulders. They will be the ones who um, will see these higher rates. And so I think this is especially crucial for our state to consider and to think about like, you know, we can't leave these people behind. And, you know, in a way, I think Northwest Natural has an obligation to also think about that, you know, how realistic are their predictions really, you know, are they going to be able to sustain their business? Because if they're not, um, then the people who will be hurt are those who, you know, really can't afford higher prices right now. So I think that's something that we all have to consider. Yeah. Well, Gosha, thank you so much for your reporting and for coming on the show to talk about it. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. That's it for this week's Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you want to read Gosha's terrific story, just click the link in the episode notes. And as always, if you like our show, let us know by leaving a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.